welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who put the fine in fine woodworking. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 258 for July 13th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about bent lamination stability, jigsaw work with hand tools, and unsticking sticky drawers. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, which is Brusso Hardware. Brusso provides high-quality, American-made woodworking hardware for your next project. As a special discount for new customers, use coupon code WT2015 for 10% off orders at brusso.com. And we'd also like to thank a couple of folks who helped us out with donations. Andrew Corcoran, L.A.T. Lindstrom, and Robert Marino. Thank you so much, folks. And look, if you want to send us a few bucks, just go to woodtalkshow.com. Go to the right-hand column there, and you'll see a few links for donations and small amounts or recurring donations if you want to do that. And uh, if you sign up, we will mention your name at the beginning of the show like we did for those three folks, which is always fun. Uh, You can also go while you're there at uh, woodtalkshow.com, go to the giveaway page, and sign up to win yourself a free Wood Talk t-shirt so you can look all sexy like Matt does every weekend. Oh yeah, I put it on and I go out and I mow the grass and people just stare. Yeah, Sometimes I forget to put pants on though, so that might have something else to do with it. Traffic stops, there's accidents, it's a a whole thing. And I just wave, sometimes (laughs) with my hand. (laughs) Pantsless lawn cutting only furthers our brand. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) All right, so let's move into what's on the bench. I'll uh, start it off here. I actually finished my little outdoor sitting bench and got the final pretty pictures of it today and working on the editing now. And the video should be out on Thursday, so that was nice. The Epiphanes finish that I did on that one, I went for the what I like to call the bulletproof finish. This is the one that starts with the CPES epoxy as the base coat, and then you build on top of that. Now, I hate the gloss look of Epiphanes. It's just too shiny. So they do have a matte finish product that I'm trying for the first time. But to use it, you kind of, uh, according to the instructions, you need a base coat of their gloss varnish to build on top of. So basically, it's uh, epoxy, the regular gloss uh, varnish, and then this matte on top of it. And it really looks good. Uh, for an outdoor, you know, five, six layers of crap on top of the wood, uh, which doesn't usually look good to me. It actually looks pretty decent to my eye. So uh, we'll see how it holds up, though. Um, That's the key. It's a very thick film, which, you know, if it's going to fail, you're talking like a full refinish if it's truly a failure. So I'm not looking forward to that if it happens. Um, (laughs) But overall, this is the first time I've done this kind of thing. So I'm hoping this truly will be a semi-bulletproof finish that won't require any maintenance for like at least five years. If I can get five years out of it, I'll be happy. Well, every time you cut, how's your Adirondack chair done? Because it's African mahogany too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I've got one African and one Honduran mahogany. The problem is I use two different finishes on them because I wanted to experiment with the finish. So one has a little bit more of the uh, film forming type urethane mix. And the other one has, I think it was teak oil is what I used on it. Now, both of them, the finish is worn quite a bit. They've been sitting outside for a while uh, and they do need some love, but the wood underneath it is in great shape. So both, both Honduran and the African have held up uh, really, really well. It doesn't have that kind of dry checking that you get with some woods. Once it starts to get down to a layer of exposure, that's not really good for it. Uh, Like the Western red cedar, that I had used on a table in the back when that finish got a little bit too worn out, it almost immediately started to just kind of show checking and cracking in the board itself. These mahoganies have not done any of that here. Right. So, so my confidence is pretty high that this African with, with the uh, finish on top of it is going to last quite a long time. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, baby. All right. So Shannon, very cool. What's going on with you? 
I am struggling to get any decent time in the shop. Um, this, well, it's this. It goes like this. I go to work all day during the week, and Heather is left with the constant supervision of the new puppy. So when I get mm-hmm. home, it's kind of here, take it. <laughs> it's all yours. Mm-hmm. So on the weekends, it's just, it's. You uh, and I a mean, dog? Yeah, basically, <laughs> you know, and he requires constant supervision. Everything goes in his mouth or he's, you know, we're desperately trying to housebreak him. So it's constantly taking him out and all that. So I'm lucky if I get more than like 30 minutes at a time in the shop. So I um, I pulled out the lathe this weekend and just had some fun playing with little projects, made an ice cream scoop, made a bowl, um, made a, a chisel handle, just little things. And it kind of, you know, it's the, the woodworkers kind of, well, I want to eventually replace all my furniture uh, in my house mm-hmm. with um, stuff that I've made. Well, that should include things like, you know, the cereal bowls you eat out of, the <laughs> serving bowls you use, Utensils. the ice cream scoop, the pizza cutter, right. all that stuff. So, you know, I, I knocked a few things off the list from the <laughs> kitchen this weekend. It was fun. It's just very, very relaxing. I mean, last week I think I mentioned I tweaked my back really bad so being able to uh just kind of stay in one place or in my case sit down on my little pedal lathe it was actually uh quite therapeutic and i was able to knock things out in 45 minutes and go back to supervising the puppy and then you know it's good it's good nice. weekend nice so when do we see the wooden toothbrushes <laughs> ew <laughs> <laughs> that'll be fine right <laughs> ew does the wood have natural uh, I heard George anti- Washington used one. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it's antibacterial to some extent. It'll, it'll be okay. Sure. Okay. <laughs> use, use, use eucalyptus. That might give you that like nice you know, flavor or something. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there we go. Cool. What about you, Matt? Sweet. Well, the big thing for me was this weekend uh, – I had a Matt's a, having a, a, just just so anyone knows that there's it's not awkwardness in our conversation. It's Matt having delays uh, on his end for some reason, so he didn't even hear what uh, I just said. It was just awesome. It was like the worst timing ever. Yeah, it, he just sent me a message. He's like, "Yeah, you guys are cutting out on me." So hopefully, we'll get through the show without uh, major technical difficulties. Hopefully, probably not though. But it's okay because I usually don't pay attention to when you guys are making comments, anyways. <laughs> like when I'm talking, so right. <laughs> we know how that works out. Mm-hmm. But uh, the big thing for me is I had a, a project that I was working on for a quote unquote client, and it was to build some uh, storage cabinets for their garage. So I wasn't too worried about the look, but I still wanted them to look really nice. The most important thing was the fact that it was um, a lot of material that I did not want to drag up and down my stairs. So I ended up just breaking out my track saw and doing all of the cutting out in the garage itself. So it was an interesting experiment, which I haven't done in a long, long time, of working with out my table saw and some of the other niceties of the, the full shop itself. Now, the whole project turned out pretty decent. I'm pretty happy with it, although it took much longer than I think would normally do. So unfortunately, there is no video coming of this or maybe fortunately for me so that the people who are receiving them won't be like, oh, that explained why that door fell off after about three <laughs> days. But uh, it was it was really it, w- it was one of those back to basic kind of a feel, even though it was using a track saw, but it's no different than using a circular saw and a straight edge. So uh, it made me really appreciate all of the amazing tools that I have in my shop. I went down and hugged them right afterwards. No doubt about it, man. Track saw is a game changer. I love that thing. 
Yeah, it definitely helped make a bunch of straight cuts. It was really great. I could stack stuff together, take care of it, and not worry about splintering all that stuff. But it was, like I said, as soon as I was done, I'm like, I went down and gave the saw stop a big hug. I'm like, I love you. You're the <laughs> most amazing thing ever. You would have knocked out those cuts in half the time. So you kissed the blade and it went, shoop. <laughs> well, I was so going to, but I'm down to my last break. So I thought, I love you, but I don't love you that much. Just don't give it a wet kiss. It'll be fine. That's right. Exactly. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just lick you with my tongue. It's really dry after all that sawdust in my face. <laughs> right. All right. Let's move into what's new. We've got a couple fun and cool things to share with you. The first one here is from Mike. He says, hey, guys, have you seen this yet? It's a link. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes there. But he said it's Adafruit. I guess that, that makes sense to pronounce Where's it that you? way. It's an yeah. Adafruit board program to track your saw blade along with uh, the vertical and horizontal axis, uh, giving you visual and audio feedback. He says he loves the combination of high tech and high touch. Maybe after Matt is done with the CNC machine, this could be his next project. So uh, you got to go check it out. There's a video and I'm going to play a little bit of it just to give you a sense for how annoying the feedback sound is. Oh my God. So he's intentionally going off axis to make it do that so you can see what happens and he'll start sawing here in a second. Danger, Will Robinson, danger. (laughs) So he starts sawing, and if he goes if he goes off course, it starts to go. That is the most annoying sound in the world. And I mean, I would throw my sawing off. Big time. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, I mean, so. it's going to have one. Actually, of, it would make me throw my saw. Is what it would do. <laughs> I'm just thinking. I would rather. I would almost rather have like Shannon yelling in my face while I'm sawing. <laughs> Then have You're doing it happen. wrong. You're doing it wrong. Yeah. I mean, it's I, my my not to improve on the product, you know, but here's a little suggestion for the guy. If he can do all this because it's incorporated into an uh, iOS app, too. So the guy knows what he's doing, right? He can definitely put some kind of a soundtrack or some sort of voice modulator on there. This is the voice he needs in there. I want that guy yelling at me as I do my song. Uh, I don't know. You know I, that, I, that actor actually was a drill sergeant. Oh, really? The guy that played that in a Full Metal Jacket. Oh, he no was kidding. A, a Marine Corps drill sergeant. Nice. That explains why he's so good at it. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually hoping for the opposite end of the scale and have something like more sensual. Like oh, as I'm right on, so is she. Like uh, you want you want a Siri sort of thing going on there. Yes, probably British though. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Your saw is a little bit off. Oh, okay. I'll correct it then. You know, we were talking about that one just before we went on here, and I found a link, and I'll have to send it to you guys. Maybe we can put it in the show notes for the laser-guided handsaw, which is pretty much just a little laser that you apparently can attach to any saw, and it shoots the beam out, and somehow – you're supposed the blade is supposed to just track <laughs> with that that laser. Now I, I think in theory it's really good because wherever the the laser's going, you're going to kind of point in that direction. But that doesn't mean that you're not all wonky and following the laser regardless. <laughs> so, right. well, remember the uh, magnetic guide that I don't know if they still sell it, but I think it was Lee Valley sold a magnetic guide for uh, for a handsaw that was going to hmm. lock you in at ninety degrees for cutting dovetails and things like that. Yes, yeah, I I've, sold one. I've got one um, that David Barron sent me that I've just been playing around with for a couple of months. And, you know, I, I'm still of the mindset that I'd rather just learn to use without it. But um, if you ever run into those situations where you're like, this has got to be dead on, it's a nice little thing to have. Sure. Um, just drop it up there. The saw sticks right to it and 
off you go. With something like this app that gives you this sort of immediate feedback, if you're even slightly off, uh, you know, I don't know much about these things, so I don't know how the body works with muscle memory and things like that. So is that actually going to train you? Because uh, I know when I'm sawing, if I start to notice I'm off, the sawing is a constant sort of fluid motion and you make the adjustments as you go. When I'm watching this person do this and thinking about how I might do it, I would be constantly like stutter starting and and, and stopping yes. and make an adjustment and go again. I don't feel like that's necessarily going to train me as well as doing the cut and examining the results and then cutting again and examining the results, you know? So I, I don't want to disparage it because it's a very technologically well, awesome sawing, thing. Sawing is so, <clears throat> let's see, how do I put this without getting mad excited? It's sensual, Sexy. sensory. Um, it's, yeah. it's all about sound. You know, if the saw is off plumb, it will rattle a little bit more. It'll push back a little bit more. There'll be more resistance and vibration. Um, and, you know, the sound of a dull saw is different than the sound of a sharp saw. For instance, the little bit I heard, that guy needs to sharpen his saw. It was growling too much on him. So, with that beep in the way, it's only going to interfere with that. What's wrong with that? That's that's fine. <laughs> it's it's probably great for a shop though where you have really super poor lighting, like it's a none at all. Say down in a cave, and you need to right. cut something like a ladder to get you out of the cave. That might be where it's really good. Yeah, it could be. I mean, to, to be more serious about that, a visually uh, impaired woodworker might find that useful too. There you go. I'm glad you said that because that was one thing I was thinking and I was trying to figure out how I could almost be the serious one and point that out. But and it not, never and not be offensive <laughs> while you're doing it. Exactly. Um, the technology here is amazing, though. Uh, really well done. I'd be curious to see if anyone would actually be interested in getting something like that for uh, for their sawing. Nice. Well, hey, let's move on to this next one. And this is from Jeff. And Jeff says, don't know if you guys have seen this, but it blew me away. Uh, no, I hadn't seen it. But I looked at it, and I have to say, I am mighty, mighty impressed with this. So if you guys have taken a look at this, this is the uh, Mateus Pleisingus Gorgeous's Bentwood Benches. <laughs> and apparently they keep on getting bigger and bigger the more he builds. What they, they're really, really sharp. I mean, it's again, it's all Bentwood lamination. As you're, or not even really even lamination. It's Bentwood on a frame. Yeah. And they kind of like slink around. They're really cool looking. They look very organic. It almost looks like something like it could easily just get up and move around. It looks like something very sci-fi, like very fluid. But if you look at the blog post... You'll see in there, there's like one where you can see where he was actually putting it together. And the number of clamps that would have to go on there um, would take up one whole entire wall of my shop. <laughs> yeah. It looks like some sort of a wooden representation of a wormhole. Yes. Yes, it does. You know, it's got that kind of weird look to it. Yes. Yeah, it was pretty. It, it looks like something like if I sat on it, I would. I don't know. It's cool. <laughs> I'll leave <laughs> it's it there. Cool. I'm going to leave it there. There you go. <laughs> it's just cool. It's cool. All right. This uh, next one came from Preston, and he said in his email to us, this will make you give up woodworking. And I followed this link, and I was actually kind of mad because it's a link to the Metropolitan Museum. And it is a free download of the book, John Townsend, Newport Cabinet Maker. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who's interested in period furniture probably knows uh, the cabinet makers, Goddard and Townsend. They are kind of the pinnacle of New England 18th century furniture. And it, truly, when I go to museums and I look at old furniture, I'm often like, oh, look, they, you know, went past his baseline there and, you know, pointing out the mistakes to make myself feel better. It doesn't <laughs> happen. I've been I've seen some Goddard and Townsend furniture in person at the Smithsonian, also at the Metropolitan Museum, and it's as close to perfect as it can get. Well, 
what ticks me off is I paid good money for this book like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and the link that Preston Wah. sent is a free PDF download of the entire book. So uh, it, it's, it's a very good book. Having read it years ago and have it sitting on the bookshelf next to me, um, go download it. Put it on your tablet. Read it on your computer, whatever. It, there's just some amazing stuff. Great details of the kind of signature things that makes John Townsend's furniture recognizable, like pierced ball and claw feet. Really cool stuff. So uh, thanks, Preston. Thanks a lot for making my book worthless. I got you know, mine's I'm, for free. I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to download it just like you said. I'm going to start flipping through it, and then I'm going I'm to email you and go, Shannon, in the purchased version that you have, can you flip to page 33 <laughs> and one, tell me what that is? In the one you paid for. <laughs> Because nice. in my free version that I have versus your paid one, uh, I'm wondering if it looks the same. Nice. Good stuff. Response. It's worth downloading. Shut up. And it's like a – I just clicked download and decided it wasn't good to do while we're doing a live show. It's like 30, mm. 30 megabytes uh, yeah. PDF. It's, it's pretty large. It's, it's the whole book. It's the whole thing. The whole thing that Shannon paid for for free. <laughs> And we'd like to thank you for paying for it because apparently that's how they funded for the free ones that we're going to be getting soon. <laughs> there is a thank you, by the way, on the page. Thank you, Shannon. You know, <laughs> one of the few people who bought it recently. Uh, all right. No poll of the week this week. But guess what? I did get to hang out with Tom. I'm and, so sorry. And let me tell you, the tomato sauce did flow, my friends. <laughs> we went out for Italian, had a great time. Uh, it was great catching up with uh, with Tom and a couple of his uh, co-worker type people. Now, was Tom the one taking the picture of you in mid-shoot? Did he, like, just stare at you just the right time and go, now? Uh, his friend. His friend took the picture. And, yeah, it was, I was eat, in the middle of eating a salad at the time. So <laughs> I was like, all right, <laughs> take a picture. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, but Tom, Tom's a great guy. He's got a whole work thing that he's going from here to, uh, to Yuma to San Diego. He's going all over the place, but he seems like he's having a great time. So I'm a little worried about him because he's been posting a lot of stuff about Mexican food. So you might not want to be following Tom's trail. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, not. you can see the, the green gash trail behind him exactly chemtrails for sure (laughs) yeah all right let's move into our kickback and i'll tell you what we got a ton of good kickback on the business designation conversation that we had yeah some paranoia inducing kickback too yeah (laughs) thank you for saying look at you that way (laughs) yeah so we actually had uh just to name a few we've got charles who was a cpa mike another cpa and david an attorney who left lengthy responses just either reinforcing or clarifying some of the things we said and i'll tell you what the most amazing thing about about this whole thing was that we were not blatantly wrong on, on anything ah, that, that true. anyone pointed out. Like, Finally, yes. I'm going to put that up on my Facebook. I was not blatantly wrong. Dude, we talk about magazines, woodworking magazines, something we actually know something about and we get blasted <laughs> for it. But we talk about <laughs> business de- designations and accounting and taxes, things we really don't know a whole lot about. And somehow we got it right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or at least pretty close to right. Did we all sleep at a Holiday Inn Express that night? (laughs) Must have been it. Uh, So in addition to what you can go read at woodtalkshow.com, where you could find some great responses from your fellow woodworkers who happen to be experts in other areas, um, here's an email from Eric, the young accountant. He has some, uh, some words of encouragement and advice. Hey guys, this is Eric in Gilbert, and uh, I'm a young accountant, you might say, uh, well-educated, but young in the, uh, the field. Um, I would say as far as your business uh, information, we're all pretty much right on. Um, the different levels of you know, LLC or S-Corp or Incorporated um, definitely help as far as the, uh, the liability um, and your personal assets goes, but... Operating as a hobby and making income, um, 
and those kind of things, as long as you file the income um, appropriately, and uh, you're, the, I think the important thing with the write-offs, the deductions, is a matter of consistency. Um, you know, I even went through this for uh, a year or two. Um, I was selling a lot of pens and small turned items and things. And so you make a little bit of extra money. Um, and, but really, do I want to go through the hassle of depreciation on my, you know, mini lathe for uh, the next year or two? It really just doesn't make sense. So it just ends up being something that I bought for myself. Your advice is good. Obviously, if somebody is in Mark's situation, um, you know, going after a full-time, um, you know, full-time, full-income type business, then uh, having the liability and having, you know, a, a good accountant to, uh, to account for everything and make sure that you're good as far as your business taxes goes is very important. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's good to go. Um, keep up the great work. I love the show, and this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Great. Thank you for that, Eric. We appreciate it. And uh, definitely. again, definitely go to the website and get more information on that stuff. Sweet. Right on. Do that. Nice. Do what he said. Yee. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, this one came in from Keith. And Keith says, just a little kickback regarding the comments about hardwood showing up at Home Depot. Somebody else made a comment about seeing walnut at Home Depot. And I work for Home Depot here in Washington State. And we have always had oak, poplar, and maple, but recently added mahogany, and I've heard that teak may be on its way as well. It sounds like Home Depot has heard the cries of woodworkers across the country and based on availability from its regional suppliers is adding hardwood for guys like us that may only need one or a couple of boards for a project or a whole bunch of – I'm adding that part. Um, (laughs) One other little fact that some people may not be aware of is we've always carried maple, but if you look at the boards on the shelf, at least 50% of them are figured. That's right. That's half of them are figured, at least in Keith's area, that is. Now, Home Depot sells these boards as plain old maple, so if you're willing to pick through the stack, you can get nicely figured maple at quite a discount in comparison to what you may pay, might pay elsewhere. Ha, ha, you we, know what? You have a little of, Scottish there at the end. Well, you may pay. <laughs> Just a little bit. Half, half of the ones are figured in my area, too, but it's a figure eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has nothing has nothing to do with like the quality of the wood. Oh, yeah, see, the ones that you need figured. to record in your shop so you can do the little rim shot thing on the drum set. Nice. The ones I call figured in my one are just from where they've gotten dropped and kicked and walked all over. <laughs> it's just gravel marks in the surface. Mm. <laughs> is that is that bird's eye maple? No, that looks like gravel from the parking lot. <laughs> Those yeah. are dense. Those are just pebbles. It's fine. <laughs> You know, I, I think it's encouraging if Home Depot can do this, but I also will say, and this, whether it's Home Depot, Lowe's, Menards, I don't care who it is, buyer beware. That's all I will say. Um, if they're going to start carrying teak, well, I can tell you for a fact, it's illegal to buy genuine teak unless you belong to certain associations, like because there's this thing called an embargo against Burma. So if they're buying teak, they're probably buying African plantation stuff which is just nasty and it's not you know as exterior rated it doesn't have all the silica in it so it's not going to be the boat building wood and that's the only thing i worry about um because and and the buying model it's the same as as walmart you know you go and you buy huge amounts of stock for your nationwide stores to drive the price down well, what ends up happening is the quality goes straight into the crapper at the same time so just be careful um, i think it's exciting i think it's great but 
do what uh, Keith says and pick through the stack a lot too. So I imagine it's going to be like uh, some of the catalogs that sell furniture. They don't actually sell cherry furniture. They sell cherry-colored furniture. <laughs> so maybe what they'll be carrying is teak-colored wood. Teak-flavored. Teak teak-flavored. Yeah. There you go. Scratch and sniff, smells like teak, don't float. <laughs> Good enough. All right. This next kickback comes from Jared. He says, uh, uh, not the subway, Jared. We don't want him on he's the in, show. He's in trouble. <clears throat> yeah, not him. The other day on the show, you had a question about how to handle keeping breadboard ends tight at each end when glued in the center. One idea that might work would be to do a long sliding dovetail. If the dovetail is done accurately, it wouldn't allow the breadboard to bow away on the ends. That is all. Good day, sirs. Absolutely, Jared. Um, in fact, there was an article in Popular Woodworking, I think Chuck Bender wrote it, that talks about kind of the, the different kinds of breadboards, and that is a, a legit breadboard. <clears throat> the only thing I will say is, just like we talked about in the last show, there is no integral tin in there. So if your breadboard is particularly wide, you know, I'm not going to throw out a number, but for me, I wouldn't want it to be more than two inches wide because then that you've only got a very little amount of penetration of that dovetail. And at the, the throat, the narrowest part of the dovetail, it's going to be quite thin. So be very careful about your grain placement. If you've got any grain run out whatsoever, you're going to have this like, you know, what's a typical tabletop, you know, an inch, maybe one and a half inches. I don't know. It depends on the, the style, but I would probably thicken up the tabletop so that that throat of the dovetail is not so skinny. Otherwise, you're going to have, yes, it's it's held tight to the end of the table, but you've got a very fragile, thin piece doing that. So just be careful with the dovetail idea. Just make a one-degree dovetail. There you go. Ooh, yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. If, you know what, though? That should be all that's needed, if you think about it. Yeah. A wedge is a wedge, right? Regardless of the slope. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to look to everyone else like a tenon, right? And you'll be able to get the depth out of it, but it's only one degree. But um, Yeah, and actually the lower that angle, probably the longer you could make the dovetail itself, yeah. right? Yeah, and how fun would it be to slide that sucker on? Yeah. Think about that all the way across the width of a tabletop. That'd be fun. That's sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You really okay. need to get out. All you right. really need to get out and have more fun. I'm going to try that. Yeah. All right. Let's you know what? I, I, have, I have a little confession here. Uh-oh. So Chuck Bender and Charles Brock, for some reason, I know that they're two very different people, but <laughs> on so many occasions, I have gotten the names mixed up. And when I like expect to hear one voice or see a certain person and I always get the wrong one. So suddenly like Chuck Bender will start talking. I'm like, where's that's not the Georgian accent guy. What the, Oh Lord. Yeah. You know, Chuck Bender, the chair maker, right? Yeah, right. exactly. Okay, He's yeah. made some chairs. Charles sure. Brock used to work for pop woodworking. Yeah. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. He does a thing with Glenn Huey. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it's really embarrassing. It's happened more than once, but thankfully it's never happened to their faces. Usually they just go, Hey man, what's up? <laughs> yeah, they're, well, they're very distinct in person. I think it's hard to make that mistake there. Oh, no, no, no. I can make that name because both <laughs> names start with a CH. There you go. <laughs> nice. All right. So we do have one voicemail here from Mike. Question that uh, I'm going to throw in Shannon's court here in a second. Uh, it's about a Rubo frame saw. Good morning, Mark, Matt, and Shannon. This is Mike from the frozen Northlands of Minnesota. Uh, for Father's Day, my family got me a 48-inch Rubo frame saw kit from Blackbird Tools. The kit is just awesome. And I'm really excited to build a frame to start using the saw to resaw my lumber. But it requires that the finished dimensions for the frame be at least 1 and 5 eighths inch finished thickness, which means I have to start with at least 8-quarter stock. I don't have any 8-quarter stock that sized correctly to make the frame, so I would need to buy some at my local lumber yard. But my 
lumber yards hours are such that I'm always working when they're open. And it's probably going to be a few months before I'm able to get a day to line up to be able to go buy this. So my question is, would there be any problems with me laminating out some of my four-quarter stock to make the frame? And then also, are there any wood species that I should avoid? If I do wait to go to the lumber yard, I'll probably be making it out of ash. But if I laminate it up, I'd probably be doing it out of curly maple or cherry. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. What say you, Shannon? All right. Well, first of all, Mike, um, that's awesome. I'm glad to see that um, there more of those things are, are selling, uh, specifically Isaac uh, at uh, Blackburn Toolworks is the gentleman I work with to get blades. And um, I'm just excited to see that he's selling more of them. I'm always excited when these kind of smaller local guys that I partner with actually make some money in the process. So thank you for uh, patronizing Isaac at uh, Blackburn Toolworks. Uh, I see no problem whatsoever with laminating something together. Um, the prototype that I built for my 48-inch saw, um, I built it out of poplar. And one of the rails is solid. The other rail is laminated together from two four-quarter pieces. Because like you, it's just what I had on hand. I didn't have enough of, of the eight-quarter. Um, mine is, well, that's the other thing, is the thickness of them is actually one and a half inches. The width is um, one and five-eighths. So <clears throat> if you're looking at, I don't know what instructions Isaac has put together, but make sure of your, your direction of those dimensions as well. Um, it, you know, if you're, if you're looking at the saw, the rails are taller than they are thicker. Um, but I don't want to get too much into semantics there because the point is, glue it up, go for it, knock yourself out. Um, regarding the species, I started, as I mentioned, in poplar. And then when I made a 36-inch saw, I actually made it out of a dense uh, tropical wood called Aphromosia. And the performance of that saw, uh, it's a little apples and oranges because it was a thinner blade and um, uh, only 36 inches. But the extra weight of the frame itself actually helped the saw cut pretty fast. So um, I have been kicking around the idea of remaking my 40-inch saw out of something heavier like maple. Um, knowing that that extra weight would really allow that blade to dig in and and cut even that much faster. So, um, you know, wood science would tell you get, you know, a nice straight grain wood, but there's really not that much stress on those side rails. The stress is straight on uh, along the end grade, the, the crushing strength distance. And crushing strength of most woods are in the millions of pounds per square inch. So it's not really something you have to worry about too much. So I say, you know, um, let whatever stock you have available guide you and don't be afraid to glue it up. Nice. And so, send pictures when you're done. We need to see more of these saws in the market because they are, they are game changers. Absolutely. It changed the way I would work when I built that saw. Cool. All right, let's get into our Don't email. say it made me slower. Uh, I know you want to. It, it, it made you not nearly as fast as you could have been with something else. It would have made it would make me slower. I'll tell you that much. All right, let's go into our email. Uh, first one here is from James. He says, I recently acquired a delightful air-dried walnut slab that's going to become a coffee table. I would like to do bent lamination for the legs after this guy in Arizona told me about it in his guild. However, I need to do some aprons. Yes, exactly. Uh, I need to do some aprons in them, and I was wondering if it's safe to do a half lap. My concern is that it will somehow weaken the overall leg. Is there a guide to how strong bent lamination is? All right, well, there is no guide. A lot of this is under the category of it depends. So I don't know anything about the design you're suggesting, James, 
But you do have to be careful. You're right to think that way because when you have these laminations of thin stock together with all the glue lines in there, it actually does become fragile in some senses. Like if you go to do a big roundover on a bent lamination, you'll get a lot of tear out. Uh, routing that stuff can be very scary. Um, so if you are d- just depending on how the joinery is connecting, how that half lap is cut, it may or may not be a problem, but you do have to to do a test run and you might have something to be concerned about. So if you want, send us a picture or just shoot me an email and send me a picture and I could give you a little bit of more of a gut feeling. And that's all it's going to be because a lot of this comes down to actually the practicality of building it, testing it, putting some weight on it and seeing what it does. But I can give you my gut feeling on it and tell you if I think you can get away with it or not. Um, so that's just one point of information there. Uh, but yeah, you do really need to be concerned and, and think about it. Like a lot of people, when they think about glue being strong, it's always this argument that the glue is stronger than the wood itself. But I often notice that when two boards are glued together, if you throw them on the ground, they're more likely to break. And yeah, it'll break just adjacent to that glue line. But because you've got that stiff, hard connection between the two boards, it almost seems to put extra pressure on the wood fibers adjacent to the glue line. So I often wonder if that can then become, you know, on something like a bent lamination where it's nothing but a bunch of glue lines and thin pieces of wood, do you run the risk of, of like a delamination if you put weight in the wrong spot, right? So, so there's definitely something to be concerned about, but it's a big old, it depends. Yeah. I'm done talking now. <clears throat> oh, you okay. Oh, well, yeah. I heard big old, uh, it, de- bullet, it depends. And I'm like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next email comes from Mike. Uh, He says, I recently made my second cajon, which is, I just like saying that, which is a South American percussion instrument, basically a box you sit on that has two playing surfaces, one glued on and one screwed on. Didn't David Marks make one of those? Uh, Yeah, well, it was a drum table. Drum table, that's right. But it's kind of adapted from a cajon idea. um, Anyway, Mike goes on to say, I like to make the sound holes a little more decorative than just a hole, and I've been cutting out the shapes with a jigsaw. Uh, he sent a picture, and if you can picture like a violin and kind of that S-shaped uh, shape <laughs> on the front of a violin, the like sound a, holes, that's kind of like what, sc- he's, what he's going for. It's like a scroll pattern sort of. Yeah. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. So my working style now is mostly hand tools, and my jigsaw is an old garage sale saw, and it's terrible. Instead of buying a new jigsaw, I would rather buy or make a hand tool to do the job, but I don't know what the hand tool equivalent to a jigsaw is. Any ideas? All right, there's a couple of options here. Um, When you talk about a jigsaw with a a power tool, it's that little thing with a reciprocating blade that zigs up and down really fast. Um, So the blade is only supported on one end. Um, the hand tool equivalent of that would be called the keyhole saw and the blade looks very similar, except it's a, it's a long, starts a little bit thicker, generally about one inch wide and tapers down to a point with a typical handsaw kind of open pistol grip type handle. Those are, uh, designed. Some people today will call them drywall saws because they're designed to work off of just a, a hole, drill a small hole, and then the, the tip of the blade fits in there and you can cut it out. That would be one option. The other option is a fret saw or a coping saw. Now, the the drawback there is, again, you, you drill a hole to start the cut, but then you'll have to unhook the blade and thread it through. And the frame of that coping saw or fret saw needs to be deep enough that it will actually fit around the edge of your, your cajon. Um, I hope that's making sense. So um, 
those to me are going to be a lot more accurate, a lot easier to control because you can get really, really fine blades and, and cut those things out. The question is, is when you're cutting these holes, are you doing it after you've glued up the box or do you have the capability since one of them is screwed on? It sounds like you can work with it as just flat stock and that'll be a lot easier. So if you go with the fret saw method, certainly you can buy a fret saw, you can buy a coping saw, or you can make one. Um, a, a, a small version of a coping saw is basically just a small version of a frame saw or a bow saw with a little tension toggle at the top. I've got a video on my site about how to make a bow saw using Tools for Working Woods kit. It's the same thing, just scaled down. So uh, with this very specific use, you probably would have good luck actually designing a small frame saw that is going to have a deep enough throat for the application you're using it with. But if all else fails, go get yourself a, a keyhole saw or a drywall saw, depending on whether you buy an old one or a modern one. And um, you might have to tweak the teeth a little to make it fine enough to do the work you want to do. But uh, that'll probably get you started. I was going to say that would be my only concern is that thing would be like a bull in a china shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, if, I, if I bought a – well, you can buy keyhole or excuse me, drywall saws like at Home Depot that mm-hmm. have like the – the um, replaceable blade. It's basically a like a file handle that a blade fits into. Mm-hmm. Um, as a as a maybe really super cheap kind of let's see if this works solution before you go whole hog on something else. You might try one of those and you could refile those teeth. You also can buy pretty fine um, fine tooth blades for those. Right. So uh, again, I haven't looked in a while, so I could be totally wrong there. But um, that that is the hand tool method. Nice. You know, the good thing is that uh, when we were talking about one of the things that was sent to us, and I mentioned the laser for the saw, the uh, link that I had, they were attaching that laser to a keyhole saw. So that might actually help out with making sure that this design goes in very well. Nice. Well, there we go. Good yeah, stuff. Exactly. Sweet. Well, hey, this next question came in from Mark. Not Mark with a C. This is Mark with a K. So somebody completely different. Totally. And Mark says, I'm relatively new at building furniture, and every time I make something with a drawer, it is terribly sticky. I planned ahead and allowed an eighth of an inch clearance between the drawer and the sides, but after I finish finishing, they always stick. What advice do you have for making drawers that don't stick like glue? Uh, It's very simple. Uh, I use wax. That is my go-to and always has been, and it's amazing how just a little bit suddenly makes the drawers uh, move so much better than they did before. Now, Typically what I'm using is like um, – I get these like bars of I think it's Liberon Wax, L-I-B-E-R-O-N if I remember right. I, when I'm at my local woodcraft, uh, they always have them right next to the counter and I'm always like M&M's, Liberon, M&M's, M&M's uh, and I always get the Liberon <laughs> and I've got them stashed all throughout the shop. Uh, I've even used like candlesticks and like actually just – Wipe that on there. So once in a while, we have a really odd smelling drawer because it turns out I use this fragrant uh, candlestick uh, for it. But that seems to really, really help. And I know that there is even some other product that is like slippery something or other where it's specifically made for for drawers. And what I usually do is I start just putting it on the very bottom of the drawers. And nine times out of ten, that totally takes care of it. I know some people will get really carried away and maybe put them on the side. But Typically, I just hit the bottom of the drawer box, and they work so much better. Mm-hmm. One other thing I was thinking is he mentioned that he has an eighth-inch clearance between the drawer and the sides. I'm hoping that's – wondering if that's eighth-inch all the way around or if that's an eighth-inch on either side. Uh, 
I, I doubt this is really contributing to it, but I always, if I had like a really big gap, somehow I always managed to end up pulling the drawer in a way that it's angled and then it kind of sticks somewhere in the back. Like it rubs way too much on the drawer box. I doubt that's what's happening, but just in case, um, I don't know. It seems like you might want to tighten that up a little bit if necessary. Just tighten it up. Tighten it up, yo. And uh, you yeah. know, the other thing is that the type of finish he's using, I don't know if he's using the same finish every time. But depending on what he uses, that can contribute to that stickiness. Maybe the finish isn't cured enough when you put the drawer in place. And there you go. And you wind up with that problem. A lot of times on the insides of drawers and stuff, it's it's nice to use quick drying, very hard finishes like lacquer or shellac on the inside because they dry fast, they cure quickly, and they are a lot less likely to stick. Especially, like Matt says, you throw a little coat of wax on there, you should be golden. Yeah, and it's amazing how fast it works, too. And that's another one of those things where I never finish the inside of my drawers. <gasps> what? Oh, let the controversy begin. You're out of the club, sir. <laughs> Get out of here. All right. Finally, that's all it took? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Retirement, here I come. I'm looking for a reason not to do this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was going to be because everybody found out I took up knitting. Wait, would I say that out loud? <gasps> how dare you, oh, sir? No, that one. That's them's fighting words. That's a low blow. Yeah, I never did, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to support the show, keep this uh, little train of fun moving, uh, you can sign up for a recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com. Right-hand column, click some links over there. Also, sign up to get your Wood Talk t-shirt. Go to woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway. And if you want, go to the iTunes store. Leave us a review there. We always appreciate that. Uh, just look us up in the store. Click on ratings and reviews and give us a five-star rating like Daniel Porcelain did. Uh, he says, just started woodworking and listened to this podcast. Good show and funny guys. I'm going to say that was helpful. Yep, that was helpful to me. <laughs> that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. That very, was very helpful. Very helpful. Thank you, Daniel. I wish all reviews were like that. All the ones we get are like that. Well, I know, but I mean, like if I was elsewhere, like it could be like, you know, hey, this is a great <laughs> pot you should buy because you're going to oh. boil some amazing pasta and yeah. then go into the rest of that. And I'll be like, I'm buying it. I'll tell you what, except for that, uh, I'm thinking of that one lady who called us sexist and uh, was really unhappy with us. <laughs> Remember that yeah. one? Oh, uh, yeah. I have it actually uh, on a t-shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she no like us better much. Not so much. Uh, all right, Matt, if you give them the contact info, we can get out of here. All right. Hey, folks, do you have a comment, question, topic, suggestion? There's several different ways you can contact us, just like all those amazing accountants and lawyers who have told us that we're right. And that's all that matters. Yay! But you can leave a Skype a voicemail on our Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's shows or previous episodes, and of course, all the amazing comments that anybody has ever left us on any of these shows, you're going to find all that stuff over at woodtalkshow.com. Sweet. All right. Right on. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya.